Hello and welcome to another episode of Stolen Droids Presents. Uh, this week we have the very awesome, very uh, large authority on all things Bigfoot, all things Sasquatch, Cliff Barrickman. Cliff, welcome. Hey there, how you guys doing, man? Excellent. Doing good, well, thank you. We're doing pretty Excellent. awesome, yeah. Um, also Excellent. joining me is Zoner, who we have to thank for this little uh, soiree. So. Yes, and I, I got to be honest, I have never scheduled an interview guest uh, that actually had me so excited I could not sleep until today until this one so <laughs> Cliff that that is that is a first <laughs> ridiculous I guess this really is a, a geek co- podcast huh <laughs> <laughs> In, indeed indeed no posers here yeah now if now if listeners aren't familiar with Cliff by name uh, they should be familiar with uh, with your work right I mean I wouldn't say you're necessarily a leading authority. I'm not really. I'm not a squatcher myself, so I apologize. But you're definitely up there in in the pantheon of authorities of Sasquatch and Bigfoot hunting. Well, I guess. I mean, I, I've been doing it a long time, and um, you know, I, I, I'm on that show, Finding Bigfoot. So uh, that I guess that places me as uh, some sort of authority, you know. But uh, really, there, I, I like to say I, I'm, I'm not a Bigfoot expert. I just play one on TV um, because. <laughs> Um, there are no Bigfoot experts, really, when it comes down to it, because we know so little about them. Even though um, it sounds like we know a lot, but we're, a lot of it's just a hypothesis. Some would say speculation, but um, I would say hypothesis or theory, because, uh, well, you know, a lot of people don't even think they're real. How could we know anything about them, really? But um, I would say that we've got, a, we've got a lot of knowledge of them, or at least we think we do, um, but still... I, I bill myself as a Bigfoot learner, not a Bigfoot expert, because I'm just trying to learn as much as I can about these amazing creatures. Mm-hmm. Well, now, and we, we probably should address the 800-pound giant ape in the room. Bigfoot, a lot of people don't uh, don't believe in it. What made you say, yeah, I want to go into that. I want to study this thing that many people don't even believe exists. Uh, the, the short answer is the evidence. Um, there is a tremendous amount of evidence out there, so much so that I was absolutely positively satisfied that they were real creatures um, years ago based on the evidence done, uh, collected by other people. Um, they are, in fact, real animals, and there's really no way around it. And people say, ah, well, you know, how do you know they're real and all this stuff? So, well, how do I know atoms are real? I've never seen one. You know, I didn't see a mountain lion for 17 years of being in the woods looking for Bigfoot until, you know, but I was pretty sure they're real, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at this point in the game, um, I believe I saw a Sasquatch. So, I mean, that, that was just a, a nice, you know, cherry on top of the cake. But the evidence clearly indicates these things are real. Right. I'll admit, I... It's not that I don't believe. I just don't know if I have personally seen enough evidence. I'm not ruling them out, if that makes sense. I'm not sure where I fall in the whole skeptic table. I huh. believe there's about as much chance they do believe that they do exist as that they don't. Oh, so, okay. like you said, I've never seen a mountain lion except in the zoo. <laughs> and if that yeah, hadn't exactly. been the case... Yeah, I, I find I, that the, the most hardcore skeptics are the ones who are most ignorant of the uh, of the information and data. Um, and, and whether it's – they're just unaware of it. I mean they're not ignorant people. I don't want to come across like that. I'm just saying that like they're not aware of the work that's been done and the data that's out there. 
Um, and in some cases, um, the, I'll, I'll use the word ignorance in that they ignore the information. They're ignorant of the information that's out there because they just don't want it. They've already made up their mind. They're not real. I don't need to bother look, looking at the data that, that suggests they are because it's wrong because they're not real, which is a very unscientific way to approach things in my opinion. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should mention that. And we were talking before we before we started the show here. I was telling you about my my wife, how she was not a believer. Uh, she was she was a mocker, not even a skeptic. She was a mocker, and well, that's kind of how your wife is anyway. <laughs> true, but then we had an encounter, and it was through finding Bigfoot, your your show. And the vocalizations that you were able to capture when you were here in Utah, that it, it all of a sudden turned her 180 degrees. You know, it, it, it when there when the evidence is there, it it gets really hard to ignore. Yeah, you know, what, what I think it is with people is that they need an experience. I mean, Renee's always saying that on the show. You know, I don't know what you saw, but until I have that experience, I had blah blah blah, whatever. Um, but like, it's the experience of your wives and, and he, like you and your wife like you had that experience and you heard the same sound on the show and, you, and she goes oh my gosh I guess they are real you know um, it's easy my friend Tom Powell who wrote an excellent Bigfoot book called The Locals um, he, t- he says that it's easy to convince yourself impossible to convince someone else because it comes down to experience you have to have that experience yourself in order to realize like oh my gosh they're real. Now, now, why do you think that applies? It seems to apply more for animals, uh, quote unquote, mythical animals. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to call them that other people listening would understand what we're talking about. But you know, silver like um, large gorillas, uh, rare gorillas in the African, uh, sorry, the South American Congo or whatnot, are considered ultra rare. They're rarely seen, but people believe in them. But yet, we shouldn't because. Realistically speaking, we've seen about as much evidence of them as we have any other animal. But why do you um, why do you think this kind of is considered fringe science, or people have a hard time believing in this? Well, I think as far as Bigfoots go, I, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Um, number one, people vastly underestimate the great apes. Uh, they just don't understand how amazingly intelligent and sophisticated these creatures are, apes in general. And um, and again, I come from I'm, I'm not I don't I'm not a, I don't have a science background necessarily. Like I don't have a degree in biology. Actually, I actually have a degree in music of all things. But like uh, like they don't understand that. Like I, I hear people throw around the word. Um, you think Bigfoot's some big dumb ape? Like well, well, there's no such thing as a dumb ape. Apes are extremely intelligent. Now, there's some humans I know. As far as like the ways of the woods, they're far, they're vastly past us in, in that way. Um, apes ha- have the uh, the cognitive ability of le- for language. You know, they just lack the morphology. They lack the structures to make the sounds. Um, part of their brain, like for fine motor control, and the, uh, part of their larynx, like area, like they lack the morphology, not the ability to use language. They're problem-solving creatures. They are sentient. They're self-aware, in other words. These things are... And, and on top of that, they're super ninjas. Um, I always like to talk about this. The person who put Jane Goodall in the field... You know Jane Goodall, the chimp lady, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person yeah. who put yeah. her in the field was studying chimpanzees in Africa before Jane got over there. And um, 
he followed around the same troop of chimpanzees for two years before he saw one. He found their footprints, he found their scat, he found their bedding sites, he found their foraging sites, he found hair samples, everything we currently have for Sasquatches. And he never saw one until, and by the way, he was following around a troop of chimpanzees, like 20, 30 individuals. He never saw one until the chimpanzees basically got used to him and let him. Hmm. Wow, that I, I wasn't aware of that. That's That's actually really cool. Yeah, people vastly underestimate apes. And I think a second thing to go along with that, people vastly overestimate humans. Um, we're not that wood savvy. We make a lot of noise everywhere we go. Um, we're not exactly fast in the woods. We're not exactly secretive. We're not exactly elusive. And you know, our powers are, of observation are, well, we, we, we believe our own hype. <laughs> Yeah, yes. we're kind of pathetic when it comes down to being out in the wild in general, you know. And e- even like the most well-trained Navy SEAL kind of guy doesn't hold a candle to a wild animal, um, especially one as intelligent as a Sasquatch. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. You know, you stop and you think about Americans, and we spend our time watching Honey Boo Boo and Kim Kardashian and and then we're so quick to dismiss all this other stuff when we're really I mean we're impressive but not very <laughs> yeah we're, we're kind of arrogant as a species you know? yes yes very now I want I want to go back uh, a little bit to your you were talking about people have to have an experience and, and I want to talk about Renee from the show now it seems to me she she for those who aren't familiar Renee is the is quote unquote skeptic of the bunch and she it seems to me like she's having these experiences constantly with you guys how is it that she can remain so skeptical uh, you know cuz as as i watch her i'm i'm thinking it's it's not always a bear it's not always some guy in a suit you know how how, how do you think she's able to to maintain that objectivity and that skepticism well, yeah, I, I think, well, she's just looking for that experience for herself. And she's had some experience. She's heard them, you know. She just doesn't know that was one because she didn't see it. Um, she's had rocks thrown at her. She doesn't have an explanation for that. She speaks to people regularly that she says, wow, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you saw because Bigfoots aren't real, so I don't know what you saw. But the thing is, Bigfoots are real. And um, she's unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for her, she's on the losing team because <laughs> Bigfoots are, in fact, real animals. Um, and you can't argue that for too long. And and uh, this, I think so, something about Renee's personality kind of works against her as well is that she really, really, really enjoys people a lot. And, it, and the fact that she's talking to literally hundreds of people many of which she kind of gets to know a little bit because we you know the witnesses we spend a couple hours with them and stuff and she likes them you know and so these people that she likes are hanging out with her and telling her these things that she clearly can see these people are lying uh-huh. and what, what is she going to do you know like what what can she say about that like and you know so she, so she just does the you know she's kind of a stubborn woman which you know I admire that's cool um but she, she's fighting a losing battle on this one. Uh, and, and if she would just like adhere to Occam's razor, where the simplest solution is probably the most likely one, um, 
I think that she would have to admit Bigfoots are probably real. So we'll see where she goes. I think this is like a journey for her, um, and we'll see where her destination is. You know, the, the, funny, the funny thing about skeptics are, and I say this as a skeptic of some things, uh, who has been proven wrong, it's that if you are really skeptical about something, you could be looking right at it and not realize you're looking at it. Now, yeah. of course, an, an 8 to 10 foot squatch would be a little bit different, but it, it's just how the mind plays tricks with you. Yeah, Dr. Grover Krantz, who is uh, probably the first physical anthropologist to really look at the Bigfoot mystery seriously, um, he, in his great book, uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence, um, he wrote this little thing, and I've, I've, it's always stuck with me. Some people say, uh, um, uh, I'll, be, I'll believe it when I see it, which is kind of where Renee is, I guess, when you think about it. Um, but really, he said the opposite is true as well. Um, I'll see it when I believe it. You know? That's- that's deep. Well, that's, that, that's bumper sticker deep. <laughs> that that's actually very profound because you know there's, yeah that that's that's very profound. I, yeah, I like that. Those lines. I've, I've I've heard hunters talk. You know, hunters like who uh, ran across one basically ran across a bigfoot, and they say basically that you know I I I used to say that you know speaking as a hunter, he said I used to hunt, I hunt and fish and all all my life in these woods, and I've never seen anything. But then after they they uh, they saw one. They kind of turned things around and said, I, I've hunted and fished in, my, in these woods all my life, and I never saw anything until I knew what to look for. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. good point, because if you don't know what to look for, you could be staring right at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like when you look down and you're checking out the ground and you see one ant, and you go, oh, look, an ant, and all of a sudden you see 100. Yeah. Like you never noticed them before. Um, and, of course, that can do that can play some tricks in your brain, too. There's something I call uh, Bigfoot on the brain, where everything in the woods is Bigfoot all of a sudden. Well, it's uh, like blue car syndrome. You buy a blue car, and suddenly everything you see is people have blue cars. Exactly. And exa- a lot of people in Bigfoot land where I live, um, which is what I kind of call the Bigfoot community sort of thing, Bigfoot land, uh, uh, a lot of people in Bigfoot land get Bigfoot on the brain. I mean, everybody does at some time. I certainly have had that before, especially um, when I was much less experienced um, but yeah, you start looking for something, and then you see it, whether it's there or not. Sometimes, do you think? And do you think sometimes people question that about you guys? I mean, uh, oh, yeah. not to put you in the same boat here, and I apologize if it sounds like I'm putting you down, but you, you see those like ghost hunter shows now, and you're watching it, and they're going down. Like, Whoa! Did you hear that? It was a ghost. Did you smell that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It must have been a absolutely. ghost. And you just yeah, you listen um, to them going, no. <laughs> do you worry that people maybe kind of put you in the same boat or? Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's a that's a big critique of the show, and um, sometimes, of course, that's the work of the editors, you know, because they're just doing their job, making compelling TV. That because because you know they're they're not making the show to prove Bigfoot's real. They're making the show to make compelling TV because it's a business and they're making money off advertisers. Is the bottom line, and that's fine. You know, it's America is capitalism. That's what TV really is at the heart of it: making an entertain entertaining product people enjoy so they watch. You know, and so. Uh, but also, yeah, certainly, certainly, sometimes we've identified sounds um, or whatever as a Bigfoot, and they, they, maybe they weren't because um, we we're just wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong, and that's something that kind of irks me about a lot of the um, you know people in Bigfoot land is that they act if you're wrong, then you lose all credibility. But that's not true. It's just you're wrong. You well, know? yeah, and, science is self-correcting that way. Exactly, and we're supposed to try. We're supposed to like take guesses at things and see if it's true and stuff, and you know. Um, 
And, and of course, I was an elementary school teacher for 14 years. I taught fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, um, depending on the year, of course. Um, and I encouraged my students to make mistakes um, because that's the way you learn, you know? Like it's good. It's good to experiment and be wrong. It really is. Do your best. Fix the error if you can, and move on. What I think most people, and you've already said, you know, you didn't come from a scientific background, and and I'm, that doesn't. I don't think that discredits you at all, actually, because most most no, people I, don't. I taught science. I understand. Yeah, most people principles. don't go into their majors, to be perfectly honest. But yeah. uh, most people don't realize that the scientific process actually states if it can't be disproven. Then there's no way. There's no valid test. There's no valid argument. It can't be considered a scientific test if it can't be disproven. And yeah, everyone is so, so caught up on proving something they don't realize that no, it's actually the other way around. Yeah, and you know, as far as proving goes, um, at this point in my bigfooting career, you know, I'm 20 years, 19 years. I'm just going to say 20, but I'm 19 or 20 years into this thing now. Um, I've kind of transcended the idea of proving bigfoot's real. Um, I don't care. You know what other people think. Um, there's a Chinese saying that says when you're right about something, you don't need to prove it to anybody. Um, and I really adhere to that. Uh, as I said earlier in, in, in this broadcast, uh, I'm a Bigfoot learner. I'm, I know they're real. I don't care what other people think. I just want to learn about them. I think they're cool. Now, skeptic question, but it's one that I'm sure you get a lot. If you know hunters are encountering them, and we're America, we love our guns. And people are having experiences with them, and they're mortal creatures. At some point, they even have to die. How do you? Why do you believe it is that we haven't come across someone shooting one, or a dead one, or you know something along those lines? Why do you think we have not encountered one in that well, way? Well, that's two different questions, really. Um, people do shoot them. I'll say that in the 20th century, based on the reports, somebody takes a shot at one of these things on average once every four to five years. Um, and that was through the 20th century. Um, generally speaking, people out in the woods with guns are out there usually trying to go after things like deer. A deer gun won't bring down a Sasquatch, period. Um, they have been shot with larger guns, and there's been a few reports where somebody actually brought one down. Um, one off the top of my head, I think it was in Ontario, Canada, back in the 1940s, I believe. Um uh, this, uh, I think it was an Eastern European immigrant to Canada was out poaching moose. And he saw what he thought was a moose and took a shot at it. And uh, he basically drilled this thing, the spinal cord, and it dropped it. And he realized, oh, my gosh, what? That's, not a, I don't, that's not a moose. I don't know what that is. And he just thought it was a giant person, you know, covered in hair. He didn't because he, he never heard about Bigfoots. He didn't know anything about these things. He lived out in the middle of the country. Uh, he he was poaching. He was illegally hunting for his family, and on top of that, during this time, um, maybe it wasn't Eastern European. I forgot. He was an immigrant from Europe, though. But it was during World War II, uh, and the thing is, remember, you know how like in, in America, one of our dark chapters of our history is that we rounded up Japanese people during World War II and put them in camps, you know, in California. Um, and we kept them in, like, internment camps. I mean, we weren't gassing them like the Nazis. And, and, and here in Utah. So oh, yeah. State well, heritage. <laughs> yeah, I was only aware of that camp in California because I'm driven by it. But, um, well, in Canada, they were doing that to this man's um, ethnicity. So he didn't want to go to the authorities about it, you know, because he didn't want to be rounded up. Um, yeah, but that's a good example of somebody brought one in and had a very good – or killed one, actually brought one down, and didn't bring it in. 
Um, just a couple of years ago, somebody um, claims to have shot a mother and a child in um, the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, and I, I have close personal friends uh, who I trust who believe the guy. And, you know, I hear his story. I think his story has a few red flags, but I don't know if it's true. Um, maybe it is. My, my couple of my friends certainly believe it is. Um, but he didn't bring it in for various reasons. And, and I figure, well, that's that's unfortunate on a couple levels because, first of all, I think it's um, morally wrong to kill one. You know, I, I, not even for science. I don't think that one should needs to be killed. Um, it's wrong to kill any ape, in my opinion. And, uh, and the fact that he killed uh, two of them and then left them there, well, that's worse because by killing those two, he's now killed another because we still need a type specimen. You know, so another one is going to have to be killed. He could have just, like, if he made that moral mistake, in my opinion, um, by killing a couple of these things, he should have brought those in to save the rest of them. But now he's inadvertently killed another one because a type specimen is still needed. Right. Well, but yeah, but people do claim to shoot them, that's for sure. The, the people, you, you mentioned red flags, and I guess we should we should address that, because there are people who fake it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why do you think? Why do you think that is? Why do, are they people who believe and want others to believe? Are they people who don't believe and just want to cash in on it? It runs the gamut, really. I, I think um, a lot of them are kind of like emotionally unstable, honestly, um, in, in some ways, <laughs> because they they're if someone is that desperate for attention that they they try to hoax the a bigfooter, like that's weird. You know, it is, it's one thing to, like, it's weird enough to be a Bigfoot guy, but, like, why do you care about lying to me? That, you're, that's weird to me. Um, there's a lot better ways to get attention, you know? There's a lot more, there's a lot simpler ways to get a lot more attention, too. Um, some people are just jokers, you know, like Ray Wallace. He's a good example. He's a, a gentleman that died a few years back um, that hopes a bunch of footprints in California, and, um, uh, when he died, his sons came out and said that, oh, my dad hoped the whole Bigfoot thing. There is no Bigfoot. Um, but but we, we know that Ray Wallace was hoaxing stuff. And he was just a joker. He liked to play tra- practical jokes. Um, other people who are... I've, I've actually been hoaxed by a guy who's in the Bigfoot community. Um, I guess he was trying to prove a point that people can be, you know, lied to. But I think... And, and like I, I didn't think um, these particular footprints were real. Like I had deep suspicions about them when I saw them. If I went to go look at them, and I cast a bunch of them because I think hoaxes are important to study. Um, particularly, hoax footprints are important to study. Um, but like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of weird. I guess he just wanted to pull one over on the community and show that we can be lied to. But what what kind of pride does one take in being an effective liar? You know? So congratulations, you're a douche. Great, we've yeah, yeah, established that. You lie well. You have a skill set that like is morally corrupt. Good for you. <laughs> now, Cliff, you just mentioned uh, hoax footprints. Uh, is are, are they easy to spot? Do you? I know you have quite an extensive collection of prints, but is like if you see a print that somebody gives you, are you able to look at that and say, "Oh, this." This is made with a piece of plywood, or you know. oh, plywood ones are pretty easy, I think. Um, but you know, even then, they're, they're, um, footprints have certain aspects about them, certain details 
that are very indicative of uh, hoaxes, but not all of them. Um, some footprints are very easy to tell they are real immediately, um, especially if there's more than one from the same trackway showing the same foot. That's the that's the joy of this. Like, there's some stuff in the Blue Mountains that, like, you used to look at the right foot and then the next right, like, they cast, like, four or five in a row. And uh, those footprints, like, show a great deal of mobility in, in the individual digits as well as a flexibility in the mid part of the foot that cannot be duplicated by a prosthetic wooden cutout. Um, other footprints, particularly when uh, walking across a static substrate, like, a, like, like the London tracks, uh, my pride and joy right now, the London tracks um, were cast in Cottage Grove Reservoir. There's a flat, really firm area. Um, the, the ground was very firm. It, they drained the lake, you know, for a couple months a year. And this thing walked across the lake bed. But it's like hard-packed sand with a organic goo on top, you know. And this thing walked across that. And there's not a lot of variation in the toe positions. And um, I'm, you know, I'm still dissecting that. I've got 72 casts from that trackway. And... And some days I'm going, this is, this is real for sure. And other days I'm thinking, well, if it's real, then why isn't this happening? Like, why isn't there more mobility? And um, so, I mean, some casts, even the London tracks, you know, I, I'm looking at very carefully to try to figure out what's going on with them. Um, I don't know. Footprints run the gamut. It, it really depends on where the creature was walking, how fast it was going, what it was doing at the time. And um, some tracks are easier than others, I guess is a good way to sum it up to tell if it's fake or not yeah okay um now one one more question about hoaxes i i i think i may have some more questions about about tracks here too but um there's just so much information i gotta try and get out of you uh (laughs) hoax (laughs) now with hoaxes do you feel that they actually hurt your efforts in the public eye um in some ways yes and in some ways no uh, it, uh, the, I guess the no is a faster one to answer. So in some ways, no, because Bigfoots are real. It doesn't matter if they hoax them, I guess. Okay. Um, but in other ways, the high-profile hoaxes are damaging in that um, it it drives academics away from the subject. It just reinforces that the whole thing is a hoax, even though it's not. Um, and that makes the academics even more wary of looking at the information. Um, and also, some of it actually uh, perpetuates false information, um, like the Ray Wallace stuff when his, his kids came out and said that he faked the whole Bigfoot thing. The media loves that stuff, and they run with it. They love Bigfoot stuff on slow news days, and they spread those lies far and wide across the AP Newswire. Um, so it does damage in, in the fact that it, it spreads misinformation and damages the credibility of the subject in the eyes of scientists. And besides that, like, you know, smaller hoaxes, like those footprints, for example, you know, like, I don't know, I, I, I bought a bunch of casting material and drove three hours each way to go look at them twice. You know, it cost me some money, but... Yeah, I guess that's damage. I guess <laughs> <laughs> financial damage is always the worst. Now, you mentioned Ray Wallace a couple times. I, I the Patterson Gimlin film for those who don't know is like the the famous film from what was it sixty eight sixty seven of of Bigfoot captured in Northern California, and everybody has probably seen that whether they know it or not. Um, but was I recall a few years ago that 
somebody had come out and said that that was actually a hoax and it had some sort of some sort of ties to Ray Wallace uh, is that is that still you know has, has that been proven as a hoax or is that still one of those things where it's it's uh, assumed to be correct or assumed to be legitimate uh, by, well, by those, the community. Those, the, the Patterson-Gimlin film, I, well, let me just start off by saying the Patterson-Gimlin film is a real Sasquatch. It, that is the real deal. You're looking at one right there. Um, now, Ray Wallace kind of got tied up in that in some ways because Ray Wallace um, was in the Bluff Creek area the, the decade before that, off and on, because he, he owned a construction company that made roads. Um, and, and it was actually his company that was hired to make the road into Bluff Creek. And they subcontracted that company, or that, that job, rather, to a guy named Jerry Crew, who got the first Bigfoot prints in America in 1958. Um, and so Ray Wallace was tangentially involved in that. And soon after Jerry Crew got those prints in 58, Ray Wallace started joking around and playing fake ones. And um, so Ray Wallace is one of, is one of the people who's claimed that the uh, Patterson Gimlin film is fake. He also claims he told Roger Patterson where to go, which isn't accurate. Um, he also claims that he knows the Yakima Indian in that suit, which isn't accurate either. But what you're talking about is there's a book called um, the Ma- I think it's called The Making of Bigfoot, if I remember right. And there was a guy. There is a guy. He's still alive in, that lives in Yakima, Washington, named Bob Hieronymus who claims he was the guy in the suit. But to my knowledge, I believe there have been no less than seven people who have claimed to be the guy in the suit. So Bob Hieronymus is just the latest one and the one that had the highest profile exposure because he was featured in a book by a guy named Greg Long. Um, Turns out uh, Bob Hieronymus has no clue whatsoever where the film site is. Um, In the book that I I mentioned, um, he gives two different... Uh, contrary descriptions of where the film site is. And but and the nearest he got to it is about 20 miles away from it. Um, the furthest, I think, is more like 40 miles away from it or something, 30 miles. So he, he has no clue where the film site is, even today, you know? And um, he would certainly remember that arduous journey way, you know, 26 miles up Bluff Creek on a crappy dirt road. Um, he wouldn't mistake that, <laughs> basically. Um, and also, there's other there's problems with the story. Um, he's not the guy in the suit because it wasn't a suit, basically. But on, but the good news is is that a man has uh, become involved in the Patterson Gimlin saga, I guess, in the last couple of years. A man named Bill Munns. Bill Munns is a professional Hollywood special effects artist, basically, and he wanted to kind of look at the Patterson thing and say, well, could it be real? So he's been doing extremely rigorous scientific work on the Patterson-Gimlin film, and his work, in my view, has put the nail in the coffin. This thing is absolutely 100% real. No human is that size, that shape, and has that walk. There are so many things about that film that validate it that most people are utterly unaware of. Um, It's ridiculous. Um, And Roger Patterson, by the way, died, I think, in 1973, two or three, I think it was 73, of a type of cancer. On On his deathbed, he swore by the film. 
Bob Gillen, the man who was there with him that day when he shot that film, was promised one third of the profits of that film because they, they took it around to like uh, you know movie theaters and you know and, and made money off of it basically you know because he, he was actually he brought his camera down there to try to film some footprints because some footprints were found um, a few miles away in August so he's hoping to get some footprints on camera and because he's making a documentary about the subject at the time and he actually ran across a creature instead and filmed it Bob Gimlin was promised one third of the money from that film. Um, Bob Gimlin never got any money from that film. He eventually sold all of his rights to that film um, to another man for one dollar just to get it out of his life because he was tired of being called a liar. Now, if that film was a hoax, certainly Bob Gimlin would have been in on it. But instead of coming forth and saying, this guy screwed me out of you know tens of thousands of dollars... Um, he's a liar. It's a hoax. To this day, I know Bob. I know Bob personally. He's a friend of mine. And to this day, he goes, Cliff, what I saw was not a man in a suit. It was a living creature. He could see the muscles move. It moved like a creature. And, and you know, Bob, he, Bob's like 84, 85 years old now. He still breaks horses to this day. He's a cowboy. He knows the way large animals move. And he saw this thing from less than 100 feet away. What, what's he funny, says th- this is real. What's funny here is we brought this up on, on our normal podcast before. Zoner had a favorite one week where a cinematographer, a director, goes into great detail explaining how the moon landing footage couldn't be faked. Because uh, people go on and on about how we didn't land on the moon. We landed in a studio somewhere in California. And he, mm-hmm. he goes into details that, again, like you said, people who aren't in the industry wouldn't know these things, wouldn't know to look for these things. But he brings up how hard it would have been using the technology in the 60s to fake things like this. Yeah. And that yeah. people, the, you know, the closer you get to the modern age, the more we realize, the more we think, oh, well, anything can be done with special effects. But up until a very short time ago, no, they couldn't. Yeah, um, consider this. In 1967, um, when, when the Patterson-Gimlin film was shot, um, that's the same year Planet of the Apes came out. So Planet of the Apes, um, John Chambers is the guy who did those costumes. That's cutting-edge ape costume technology for 1967. And you cannot see muscle movements in those costumes like you can in the PG film. You cannot see... Uh, the, um, like in the Patterson film, you see finger movement, but yet no no human has those dimensions to make the, the prosthetic... Like, like to make their fingers go all the way to the bottom of the costume because nobody has shoulders that wide, nobody has arms that long for that height. Um, it, it, it could not be done. And as far as special effects go... I believe it was uh, veteran Bigfoot researcher John Green who brought the Patterson-Gimlin film to Disney Studios, and like the, the highest technology, you know, guys making movies at the time, basically, and said, "Look at this. Could you guys do this?" And they said, "No, we can't. We don't have that kind of technology." That, that's that's impressive, right there, because the Imagineers can do pretty much anything. Well, nowadays, sure, but you know, then remember. Even then, like, yeah, Disney and Planet of the Apes, those are the two benchmarks. Disney said, we can't do that. Planet of the Apes looks like a, a monkey costume. You know? Yeah, we know, we know what it looks it's, it's crap. Uh, <laughs> even the Wahlberg one was crap. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I just imagined them all as Bigfoots. 
<laughs> I'll have to do that next time I watch it. Now, do you ever find, because there are experts in different fields, um, quote-unquote more credible fields, but, you know, criminologists, people who actually work with forensic science, uh, they test DNA, they test hair, they test prints, they test all sorts of things. And I've seen different specials where one specialist will be called in to take a look at a print or a hair sample, and they say, "Yeah, there's no way this is fake. This is you can tell here, you can tell there, you can tell this, you can tell that." But then in the same show, they'll take the exact same print to another expert, and of course, this is TV land, not the channel, the actual place. And so we have no way of verifying if these people really are experts. But the second one entirely counters it. Do you ever get frustrated by the the expert witnesses that just can't seem to make up their mind or? that seem to go back and forth so much? Um, sometimes, I guess. But remember, uh, I'm just trying to learn about them. You know, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. I know they're real. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of... I'm, I'm slowly caring less and less all the time about what other people think. Gotcha. Um, especially since I'm on TV now, you know, because being on television really makes you stick your neck out pretty far, and there's all sorts of people swinging hatchets at it all day long. You're very zen about all this, yeah. I've been accused of that before, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the reason I bring that up is is because it's funny. We go back to scientific evidence and whatnot. If, if you have a child, and I'm, I'm telling listeners this too, if you have a child and they have some kind of mystery illness, be it uh, emotional, mental, physical, or whatnot, and it seems like every single doctor you go to, you get a different diagnosis. You know, and it always seems to it seems to be that the experts always find an answer that fits into their wheelhouse, their preformed notions, their experience, and their ego. And whenever I watch a special on this, it always seems that uh, Bigfoot studies or whatnot seem to be falling prey to the same problem. It always just kind of depends on which expert you take it to and which how they're feeling at the time. Yeah, I think that's accurate, and that's also the case with witnesses, and I laugh a lot when skeptics have, uh, or people who just are, I'll even, not even say skeptics, because, I mean, I try to be skeptical, you know, I try to weigh things and decide and stuff, but um, disbelievers, I will say, maybe, maybe that's a good term, or people who are satisfied that Bigfoots are not real, I like it when they have encounters, and they try to fit things into their box, um, and and they're telling you the story, and you realize, man, that doesn't fit your box. That doesn't fit any box, you know. Like um, there's a there's a, an encounter, um, but actually a series of encounters. But one in particular on the Sandy River, not too far from my home, um, here in Portland, Oregon. And these guys were fishing down on the river for steelhead or something, I think. And big rocks started coming in. It was around dusk, and, and they like big rocks started going plunk in the middle, like in the river, like 10, 15 feet out from them. And uh, they're, they're looking at each other going, what in the, you know, and then they saw one come in. And from the trajectory that it came in, um, because they are, they, because these people don't think Bigfoots are real and they don't realize that apes throw rocks, um, their explanation for what was happening is that somebody was dropping big rocks out of an airplane. You know, like that was the most reasonable explanation for it. You know, let alone that, like uh, there, there was a print find the week before, and like in the same two mile stretch of river, and somebody saw one. Like, yeah, all this stuff was happening, but all that stuff is BS. You know, all that stuff is a lie. 
um, somebody was clearly dropping rocks out of an airplane because that's <laughs> the only thing it could have been. Oh, it's the less awesome. successful uh, rock terrorists. They're, they were targeting yeah, exactly, these people. Exactly. That is awesome. Now you've had you've had some pretty cool. Uh, interactions i guess would be a, an appropriate word on the show you know with with doing vocalizations and having callbacks and, and tree knocks and and uh, i th- i think it was when you were in australia with the yowie uh you were clapping and they would clap back at you correct yeah um have you all, all that being said obviously we've never seen we've never seen one on the show have you in in your various adventures actually seen face-to-face a Sasquatch? I think so, yeah. Um, in North Carolina, I witnessed, through a thermal imager, a lone bipedal figure, clearly either a human or a Bigfoot, no other, no other options. Um, but the context and some other things make me strongly believe that was a Bigfoot. Um, we were two miles off trail. It was between two and two in the morning. Um, whatever that thing was was navigating a wooded hillside without a light Um, it walked really strangely Uh, it didn't walk like the Patterson-Gimlin film subject actually from the waist up like the arm movements had this sort of movement like um, you know like if you were walking in the shallow end of a pool but kind of using your arms to swim yourself along at the same time Uh that's what its arms were doing um, and its legs looked like it was riding a bicycle, you know, like that it has sort of circular weird movement to it. So it had a very strange gait to it. And um, that's 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 when Moneymaker chased after something on the hill in that, the North Carolina episode. And Moneymaker went after it with uh, a night vision monocular and thermal imager. And he never saw it. He, I mean, it, it, just, it just disappeared. Like he, it just went over the hill and Matt never saw it or caught it again. And then... About 40 minutes after Matt chased that thing, um, we got a vocalization off that same hillside. So all of those things put together make me think that that thing was a Bigfoot. Um, Matt doesn't think it was, but I don't see how that – I don't know. I, I, just, I, guess, I guess I just disagree with Matt on that one. Um, I think it was a Bigfoot, man. It, fit, it was walking <laughs> – again, 2, 2.30 in the morning, two miles off trail, navigating wooded hillside with no lights walking in a weird way that didn't look human to me and evaded us and then vocalized. Like all of those things make me think that I probably saw a Bigfoot that night. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I just imagine there's some locals going, oh yeah, that's just Vard. The bar is let out. He was just, he was just wandering <laughs> home. <laughs> no, he was, he was just Mr. Burns in it through the woods. Uh, maybe. I suppose it's possible, but it's, I think it's extremely unlikely. I think I'm probably sounding much like the people who thought rocks were being thrown out of a plane. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't say it was a bear. But (laughs) (laughs) now, Now, how how have being on the show now? Because you mentioned humans are loud. We're loud in the in the woods, even when we don't think we're being. It's like my kids; they think they're being so sneaky, not realizing that I can hear everything they're saying and doing. We think we're really good in the woods. We're not. Now you have a film crew with you, and I can't imagine that the film crew are all trained ninjas. They have to be making some noise. Have you found it more difficult to do these things, or or how has it changed it? Well, I'm under no illusion, man. I mean, 
we're not we're not being secretive out there. Um, we can do our best to whisper so we're not heard a great like you know five hundred yards away. Because I mean, I, th- I think Bigfoots really rely on their sense of hearing, um, probably more than anything else at night. Um, I mean, they have excellent night vision, clearly, but I think that they really rely on hearing to figure out what we're up to. Which is why, which is how those chimps evaded that scientist I mentioned earlier. By the way, um, apes have a tremendous hearing. Is the bottom line. Um, but at the same time, we have we have those cameras in our face, like the little guys on those backpacks that we have to wear. And we have a producer and the camera guy and sometimes a sound guy with us. Um, so there's five of us usually, you know, four or five of us on those night investigations. So we don't try to be silent, but at the same time, I, I don't think that works against us so much because the thing about Bigfoots is that they're extremely intelligent and therefore they're curious. And their whole gig is knowing exactly what's going on in their territory all the time. I mean, literally, sometimes their life depends on it, right? So if something weird and interesting comes into their area, they're probably going to come check it out. Um, hopefully, they're going to try to look at us instead of just listen to us um, and, like, let us go by. So we, I think in some ways, being a scene in the woods, because we're pretty much a scene when we're out there, um, might work for us. You know, like that one that I mentioned in North Carolina where I think I saw a Bigfoot, it was just standing on the hill watching us for a long time. It was about 70 yards away up on like on this nice safe hill watching us when Moneymaker noticed it for the first time, you know. So uh, I think that I, I don't think, you know, I imagine they probably don't like the light. And I do think they see in the infrared, by the way. So even though it looks like there's all this light and stuff when you're watching the TV show, it's dark. It's pitch dark because that light on us is infrared. And I can't see it. I can't see infrared light. Nobody can, you know? It's actually um, not uncommon in the animal kingdom. Animals yeah, see exactly. infrared quite often. I see, no, yeah, I see no reason why they couldn't see it. And there's even a couple data points like uh, that you know, I could cite that um, suggests that they do see it. Um, it's not just speculation. I actually have the data to support that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, hopefully by us doing what we do, we draw one in and it just like looks at us and trips out and we can see it maybe. That's what we're hoping for. It might have even worked once if that one I saw in North Carolina was actually a Bigfoot. So. I have to admit, if I if I was out in the middle of the night, turned my head around and there on infrared is just this figure staring at me, I would probably freak out. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I might have my aha moment later after I change my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great out there. It's an exhilarating um, experience. I'll say that. To know, like, when you hear them out there, and, you know, like, on the show, we haven't got, well, let's take that back. On the show, we did get some pretty, like, in North, South Dakota, we got some really close stuff. I heard one run away from us in South Dakota after it was knocking or clapping or something at us, whatever it was doing. But, like, when, when it's right there, and you, you go, oh, my gosh, there's one right there, like, 40, 50 feet away from us or something like that, and you can hear it whether it's breathing or a huge knock or, you know, like in the case of South Dakota running away, it is an exhilarating experience. Like it is like nothing else. It's phenomenal. I live for that. It's amazing. That's got to be an amazing high. (laughs) Just a huge adrenaline rush there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you can't even, I can't even describe it really. You know, I mean, to, to put it into context, like, if I'm just going to random spots in my real life, like, not my TV life, in my real life, and just going bigfooting, 
I get Bigfoot sounds like maybe 8% of the time, you know, like going to good spots. There's a couple of spots that are a little bit more consistent than that, but I'm just popping around to spots that I think they might be. Um, but so that's a lot of lonely dark nights in the woods. And I do this alone a lot too, you know, so it's just a lot of time spent staying up really late with no fire listening, you know, in the woods alone. And that, it's a weird life, I guess, but those times that they're around make up for those other 90 plus percent of the times that where nothing happens. It's kind of like golf. There's always that one shot that you get that makes you say, okay, I can come back and do another round. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But imagine, you know, imagine a uh, hundred holes and you only make it into eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's about how I play golf. So, <laughs> but, but there's always that one shot that, that gets, gets me going. Now, there are, I, I guess Bigfoot would be considered a monster. He was on an episode of Monster Quest well, and whatnot. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to cut you off here, Zonic, because I know where you're going on that. Before you go with that, there's okay. one other... Uh, I, I, I kind of want to get your take on this, too, because you mentioned you were in Australia at one point. And the Bigfoot mythos is called different things, but it's all over the world. You know, you have yetis, you have... Uh, there have been reports mythological reports, even modern history reports of large humanoid apes in, I want to say, nearly every area of the world, right? Yeah, sure. Um, there were reports from every continent except for Antarctica. I'll say that. Although some of those reports are purely historical um, and with very few, like so few modern day reports that I would have to think that probably they probably aren't around anymore in certain areas. Well, so, I, and I kind of, that's kind of what I want to get your take on. As a, do you believe that these were all variously various species of the same genus, perhaps? Were they all the same thing and they've died off in certain areas? And our area is still strong with it? Do you believe it still exists, or, or were uh, they all just myth there? I'll say I don't know is the honest answer, of course. Um, but that's a valid answer. I like. The, when, just when, kind of wondering. Yeah, I'm not afraid to not know things at all. But I do have some ideas about those things. Um, here in North America, um, these things are Bigfoots, clearly. Sasqu- Sasquatches, whatever you want to call them. Um, I strongly believe they migrated across the land bridge with the Native Americans because they go after the same food resources. Um, Sasquatch diet, in my opinion, um, mirrors that of Native American diet before white contact. You know, except for the food they had to prepare, basically. But, like, they can – they have a – a really efficient digestive system, clearly. Um, as they're big enough to have a very long digestive tract, which probably helps them digest very fibrous foods. Plus, you know, they're omnivores. They're hunting deer and rabbits and ducks and whatever else they can grab. Um, snails, you know, all that stuff. Um, so they probably came from Asia, almost certainly came from Asia. Um, in Asia, in the northern, in the northeast part of Russia, there's reports of Bigfoot-like creatures. In fact, there's reports of Bigfoot-like creatures all throughout northern Russia and Siberia and China and Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. Um, a couple of the islands in um, Indonesia have Bigfoot, like large, hairy hominoids. And in Australia, because remember, Australia was connected to Asia by a land bridge at the same time as North America. Um so that's that, and that's how the Aboriginal people got down there. For example, you know, before they were separated by water. Um, uh, so there's this big crescent-shaped thing on the on the map that it, where where Bigfoot-like creatures live. 
Now they even they even extend um, westward all the way over to the border of Europe and Asia in the Caucasus Mountains and um, and Georgia, the country, not the state. Of course, they're in the state as well. Um, and there's and when you look at Europe, um, I, I know a man who claims to have seen a Bigfoot in the Black Forest in Germany. I've gotten several reports on my website because you can file reports if you've seen one of these things with me. Um, several reports told me about seeing a Bigfoot on a military base in the Czech Republic, which, by the way, is connected to the same forest where the man saw one in Germany. Um, there is a photograph that came out just this past year, the year before, of what appears to be a brown hair-covered biped at a great distance, probably 100 yards, um, from the Pyrenees Mountains that separate, I think, what is it, France and, and Spain? Um, and when you look at the the art and the sculptures and stuff and then the lithographs and the writings of uh, medieval artists, a hairy man, like hairy men are, are depicted quite regularly um, it, all the way up to the Middle Ages in the art of Europe. And it makes me wonder, like, well, shoot, what are they basing that on? And in fact, uh, thinking about it, I got a report from Norway just like a month or two ago. I think these guys saw something that matches the description of a Bigfoot in Norway. Um, now, are they the same thing? I don't know. But I imagine they're either the same thing, because humans have a worldwide distribution. I mean, maybe Bigfoots do. If they're not the same thing, they're probably extremely closely related. You know, uh, like in the same dis- difference, like black bears and sun bears are both bears, and they look a lot the same, but they're not. Um but having said that, I think there's a couple other things going on, too. Um, the recent discovery of the hobbit species, Homo floresiensis, on the island of Flores down in Indonesia is extremely interesting because there are, there are creatures that match the description of little Bigfoots measuring you know one to one and a half meters tall um, all throughout that area. And in fact, um, not only are they reported in Indonesia – Little guys are reported in Australia by the aboriginals. They're called brown jacks down there. They're reported in uh, Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam and even some in uh, in China. And on top of that, there's this little guy called the orang pendek, um, which is which would seem to fit the description of Homo floresiensis um, or the ibugogo, is is they're called like uh, the the mythological quote unquote creatures are called in Flores. But the thing about the orang pendek, even though it's a bipedal, small, hair covered hominoid, like a bigfoot, but it's small, like a meter, like a, you know three to four feet tall or something like that, their footprints indicate that they're a different thing. They're much more of an of like, like an ape sort of thing because they have a divergent hallux which means a big toe that sticks off to the side like a thumb. Whereas the um, Ibugogo, or possibly Homo floresiensis, has a human-like foot with um, an adducted hallux, which, which is what we have, like our big toe goes forward. And so did Homo floresiensis. So there's probably a, a small number, like maybe three or four different things going on in the world. Um, so, again, the short answer is, I don't know. But the long answer is the data indicates that there's a couple different things going on. So it's an interesting thing to be uh, exploring. Uh, and I, I think the big moral of 
and really not just this, but everything. I, this is how I like to view the world, which is why I say, you know, I'm I'm not a skeptic, but I'm not necessarily a believer. I, there's a 50-50 chance of anything. Is it, you have no idea, when I say you, I mean everyone, we have no idea how much we don't know. There's <laughs> yeah. so much out there. I, and the reason I say that is because, uh, you know, you look at pictures like, well, how how could Bigfoot exist out there? How, how have we not run into them? How have we not developed into them? You take a look at even the California redwood forests or upstate Washington or areas in Wyoming, Montana, Canada. Oh, my gosh, Canada. You look at that forest and go, okay, yeah, no, I could see it. There's so much in there that we don't know, we haven't seen, and I can't see more than two trees into that forest. There's so much yeah. we don't know, and we don't even know how much we don't know. I revel in my own ignorance daily. I'll tell you that. Um, was, was wasn't it like Aristotle? I think who said um, the only reason I know anything at all is because I really don't know anything. You know, because you have to start off from a place of ignorance in order to learn something. And some people aren't willing to go there. Some people aren't willing, I guess, to to humble themselves to a point where they they they'll admit that they don't really know. And maybe mm-hmm. they can learn something. You know, their cup is too full, as it were. Now exactly. we're running uh, short on cup- time here. But uh, yeah, def- cup is only useful if it's empty, by the way. Right. Oh, We're running short on time, but we definitely wanted to get on your DVD. We wanted to, to bring oh, yeah, that up. Yeah. yeah, Bigfoot Road Trip. It should be released in about a week. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, not, you know, just it's, it's excited to have something out there to share with everybody. And I had fun making it. And the basic idea is that, you know, like Bigfooting's my life. I make television for a job. I'm doing this stuff anyway. Um, and television kind of edits things up. So it's you don't get the whole story. So I, since I'm bigfooting anyway, I took some of my more uh, compelling journeys that I, I've been videotaping all along and edited them together with my friend Craig Flippy into short little segments. I think there's about eight segments on the DVD, and um, I really go in depth on some things, like uh, some of the things that I I'm, that are on this DVD in my bigfooting adventures, my bigfoot road trip. Um, I, I uncover. Um, a Bigfoot cast. No one has ever seen from documented Bigfooting cast events ever. In 1982, in Grays Harbor County, Washington, um, a sheriff named Dennis Hereford, over a period of a month, um, he would follow up on Bigfoot reports when people reported them to the police. You know, because in Grays Harbor County, Washington, it's, it's a pretty slow place. You know, there's not a lot for cops to do sometimes. And uh, he started investigating Bigfoot reports when people called the police on them. And he started casting prints. And over a period of two months, um, he cast, I think, eight footprints. Uh, well, that's what we thought, at least. And these are some of the best best documented, clearest, most beautiful, anatomically correct footprints available in the data set. And a woman contacted me. She has another footprint from those events in her garage. And it's been there for the last 30 years. No one's ever seen it. So um, that's like one of the segments on my on my uh, DVD. Well, I go up there, I take a Bigfoot road trip and visit them, and I learn about the circumstances surrounding the cast, and I feature the cast, and we go Bigfoot in the woods, and it's good. Um, so Bigfoot road trip, where can people find that? Well, in about a week, you can go to my website, cliffberrickman.com, um, and, or uh, northamericanbigfoot.com, which is my blog. And uh, it'll, it'll be publicly available with you know big banners where everybody knows exactly where to get it. Um, in about a week, I hope. So we'll see, man. Yeah, it, it should be great. There's a photograph of a Bigfoot no one's ever seen on there. Um, yeah, and, and to top it all off, puppets. So it's going to oh, be great. 
<laughs> Dude, I am sold. I'm on that. Yeah, you totally got me with puppets. <laughs> yeah, I take the obviously I'm a, I'm a nerd on this stuff. I'm a Bigfoot nerd to, to the to the very core. But I love doing this. I'm having such a good time with Bigfoot. But people take Bigfoot way too seriously. It's not the most important subject in the world. It's just really cool. And you, I, I decided to have some fun with it at the same time and and take it seriously. So this is the DVD is a, a weird dichotomy, I guess, of Bigfoot nerd science stuff and. And in-depth storytelling and ridiculous puppets. It's great. <laughs> well, awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, we'll have the link in our show notes and where you can uh, follow Cliff and uh, and get the uh, DVD. We can't wait for your sequel, Super Ninja Bigfoot, uh, as you alluded <laughs> to earlier in the show. I, I want that movie out. Yeah, Until, yeah, well, I definitely want to corner the nerd market, right? <laughs> well, 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 Cliff, we need to let you go, but man, it has been a pleasure having you on the air. We appreciate you uh, you joining us. Oh yeah, it was a good time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, and this has been another episode of Stolen Droids Presents. 